All right. Hello, hello. How's it going? Where are we at? Citizens Youth, let's go. Wednesday night. Let's go. Hey, if you are here tonight, right now, congratulations. It's Wednesday night. It's the best night of the week. And you are here at the best place to be on the best night of the week. Citizens Youth, come on. Give it up for yourself again. Come on. Pay yourself in the back. I'm so excited that you've joined us tonight. If uh, you're new here, welcome. My name is Noah. I help lead our student ministry here. Uh, we do a few things. We sing together. Uh, we have fun and games. We do fun stuff. Um, we listen to God's word uh, through the Bible. And we also are just now starting tonight for the next few weeks, Connect Groups. And yes, give it up for your leader who is here with you. Give it up. Connect groups are a time for us to not just sit in rows, but to sit in circles and to actually talk about life, talk about what uh, we're, we're, we're thinking through, through scripture. It's a time to connect with each other. It's, it's, it's a time to connect with God's word. And in all of the New Testament, there are so many commandments uh, that start with or end with one another. Treat one another with kindness, serve one another, um, show compassion to one another. And so the scriptures command us to be together all the time. Amen? Oh, come on, wake up. The scriptures command us to be together, right? Amen? Amen. So we're going to do that together in this season of Connect Groups. Go ahead and open open up your Bible, excuse me, to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. If you don't know, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Everyone say, whoa. First book of the Bible. We're going to be talking about um, a guy named Joseph. Raise your hand if you're 17 years old in the room. We've got a few 17-year-old. Uh, that's not true. I know that for a fact. All right, 17-year-olds in the room. Uh, that's the age Joseph was when this story starts. So kind of cool, right? This is a young guy named Joseph. And the story of Joseph, I'm not trying to overhype it, but it is amazing. Not just because it's in the Bible, not just because it's God's word, but because it is awesome. And I have to say, it is personally for me one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. So I'm really excited for you guys to uh, dive into it tonight with me. And uh, the story of Joseph is a little confusing. Not confusing in the sense of like there's some gaps in the story or there's some questions or we're not really sure what the author meant to say. Uh, The story of Joseph is confusing Because Joseph is promised one thing, and like a million other things seem to happen along the way. You see, in life, there's some confusing moments. Raise your hand if you've ever had a time in life where you're like, this is just a little confusing, just a little disoriented. All right, let me tell you a story. Um, And this has probably no spiritual value to you, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, Probably the most confused I've ever been in my entire life was this situation right here. And when I mean I was confused, I was in my like head thinking about replaying this situation for like hours after it had occurred because I was just so confused. Let me tell you what it was. So it was a number of years ago and um, I was working at a church in Illinois. I've talked about this before with a group of other youth pastors and we were putting on a camp and uh, we put on this camp every single year. We brought a bunch of students to this camp in Michigan. And so we always try and do like funny videos or something to kind of promote the event And we would um, record these funny videos, and then we would play them at camp, just kind of get people excited. It was just kind of a silly tradition we all had. And so the theme that year was called Sacred Space. That was the name of it, and they had a long explanation. But um, the joke that we were going to do in these videos was called Scared Spaces. Again, youth pastor logic doesn't make a lot of sense, so just 
Follow along with me in this story. And so somehow this whole idea translated into let's scare people. Let's scare each other. And so two of the guys on our team were, tried to, were trying to scare everyone else on, on, on the rest of our student team. And like they did some funny stuff. They had like spiders like, uh, like on like their pizza or something. Or they like popped out around the corner. But what they did to me was the scariest thing that has ever happened to me and the most confusing thing in the entire world. This is what happens. They kept hyping it up because, like, I didn't know. It wasn't one of those fake videos where you're like, did that guy really know he was going to get scared? This was genuine. This was true. These guys were like, we're going to scare Noah the most because he's the youngest and the newest on the team. It's just kind of how it goes. And they're like, we're going to find something that's horrifying, and we're going to scare Noah. And I was like, yeah, right, you guys. And deep down, I was horrified. I really was. They kept hyping it up. They were talking about it for weeks. And so I had seen them scare all these other guys, and they record it. And I'm like, I'm going to know when it's going to happen. I'm not going to be that scared. But So it's, I don't know, probably 11 o'clock at night is where this story starts. I just actually dropped Jocelyn off at the dorm she was staying at. This was before we were married. And so she was staying at this dormitory, and I was driving back to this uh, my apartment with some of my roommates. And so I walk inside. This is 11 o'clock, and my roommates are sleeping. All the lights are off. And so I didn't want to be a bad roommate. I didn't want to turn on all the lights, and they were pretty bright in the hallway and stuff. So I just turn on my phone flashlight, and I just like, kind of walk around the house. I, I like get a drink of water, go upstairs. As I'm walking up the stairs, I notice my, the door to my room was cracked open in a way. And I know you can't. You know when like, something just doesn't look right, but you can't explain why? So that's what was happening. The door just didn't look right. I was like, did I, did I open the door? Did I close it? Whatever. So I'm walking in, and then, again, this is late at night. I'm, like, about to go to bed. I'm tired. I have my phone flashlight. And all I see in the corner of, like, the light was just a foot, but it was, like, a furry. It was, like, a furry foot. And I was like, what is happening? And I look up, and there's just a Chewbacca costume in my room at 11 o'clock at night. And he just starts screaming. And then another guy in a morph suit jumps out at me and is screaming at me. This is in my room, which is like this big at the time. And they're just yelling. And I don't process what's going on. And all I do, I have my phone in my hand, and I slap the person in the morph suit with my phone. I go, ah, and I just hit him in the face. And I hear, oh, and I immediately could tell it was these guys. And they take off their masks. And they're like, what's up, dude? And I was like, oh, oh. I was like, call 911, please. I'm happy. I, it was the most disorienting thing that ever happened. So much so, I, like, there's a video of it. I'll have to find it. I, like, I hit the guy. And I like, stumble back on the door. And I push the door through the drywall. Because I like, just fell on it. I was horrified. It was so disorienting. And I was very glad I didn't say a bad word. So we could show the video. And I, you know, I could be real in church, right? All right. Anyone else maybe would have said a bad word, but I didn't. And it was all good. And I couldn't stop thinking about it for at least 24 hours. I closed my eyes and there was Chewbacca yelling at me. And I was like, what is going on? Oh my goodness. Right. And um, all this to say, our landlord uh, was not super happy, but we figured it out. It was okay. That was the most confused I'd ever been in my entire life in a funny way. Right. But in a much more real way, we have situations that come along. Right, relationships that end, uh, people who say things to us and they are really mean about it, um, people who go behind our backs purposely to try and hurt us, and we kind of sit, we don't even know if we're hurt, we're mostly just kind of like, what? This is a bit weird. I didn't think this was supposed to happen. Kind of playing back the situation in your mind over and over again, this is really, really strange. The story of Joseph 
is confusing, like I had mentioned. Because God promises something to Joseph, but it seemingly doesn't come true right away. And the story of Joseph in scripture is the story of dreams and deliverance. And that's the series that we're going to be going through for the next few weeks. We're going to see the dreams that God gives to Joseph and to the other people around him. And we're going to see how God ultimately uses pain and difficulty and confusion and the why did this happen moments for his glory and our good. God uses those situations, those moments of pain, those moments of difficulty for his glory and for your deliverance many times. You may not know why it happened yet. You may not know the significance of when and why and how it transpired, but God uses all things for good for all those who have been called according to God, who know God, who love God, all things work together for good. And that is the truth that's going to just completely surround us this series. What should Jesus followers do when life doesn't make any sense at all? What do we do? Should we fake it? Fake it till we make it. I'm sure it'll be all right. Should we turn away from the faith? Well, this difficult thing is happening, so it must not be true. What do Christ followers do? What do followers of God do? The story of Joseph is about dreams, deliverance, and the sovereignty of God in the middle of chaos. Let's read together here in a second. God, be with us as we open up your word. Um, Be with us as we're trying to uh, wrestle with some of these questions. Uh, What do we do in the moments of pain? What do we do in the moments of difficulty? What do we do when life doesn't seem to make any sense at all? Help us to have a, a biblical perspective and the correct perspective that you are working all things together for our good and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're starting here in Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father, sojourning from the land, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, he was pasturing the flock with his brothers, since he was a boy, with the sons of Billa and Zifla, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Everyone say, boo, boo, not a good thing. Because he was the son of his old age. And when he made him a robe of many colors... But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Somebody say dysfunction. All right, I'll give you an opportunity. Someone say dysfunction. This is a dysfunctional family. This is a dysfunctional relationship. Now, we just got to start off uh, off the bat. Uh, this is like a story at the end, towards the end of Genesis. And the story of Genesis is fascinating. All right, and the very, very beginning of, uh, of Genesis is the story of us. All right, the story of Genesis is the story of our beginning, how God created us uh, in his image, but ultimately from the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve chose to sin, chose to rebel, and from that moment all the way up until here, we just see a cycle of sin continue and continue and continue. The sins of the people of God continue to cycle downward in the book of Genesis, which is where we pick up the story here. From the garden to Cain and Abel, to Noah, to Abram, to Abram's miracle son Isaac, to Isaac's kind of shady second kid Jacob, who 
stole his brother's birthright by like exploiting his father's blindness and a bowl of soup. You heard that correctly. That's absolutely what happened. That's Jacob, who then is renamed Israel. Yes, I totally know it's a little bit confusing. Israel means wrestled with God. Jacob did this. And now he has, in this part of the story, 11, soon to be 12 sons. That is where we're at right now. And it's the story of God moving and working in the middle of sin and despite sin and actually bringing good results because God is sovereign, because God is holy, despite the sins of all of these men and women before. And so here we have Joseph, all right? Here we have Joseph, and he is, uh, he's, the, uh, he's the, one of the youngest sons in this story. So Jacob uh, slash Israel, he has 12 sons. Joseph's number 11. Soon his son Benjamin would be number 12. That is where we're at in this part of the story. And the rest of the older brothers hate Joseph in this moment, all right, who has little siblings? Like, who has younger siblings? Raise him. Let's see it. I wouldn't use the word hate. How many of you get annoyed with your siblings, your younger siblings? Yeah, okay, keep them up. All right, now, youngest siblings in the room, raise your hand. Have you ever once thought to yourself, how come I never get annoyed at my siblings? Follow along with me. Is it because perhaps you are the one that, anno- no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest in my family. I've got three younger siblings and I love them. They do annoy me from time to time. Well, my brother, who's 10 years younger than me, 10 years younger than me, he just turned 15 yesterday, right? He'd be in our youth ministry if he lived here. It's kind of crazy to think, but um, my brother's 15. When he tells me anything, my first like thought sometimes is like, what is, seriously, what do you know, bro? What are you trying to tell me, right? When he tries to tell me something about like Mario Kart or something about like Super Smash Bros, I'm like, let me tell you a thing or two and then let me beat you, right? Okay, so all this to say, take some of those frustrations that you have naturally with younger siblings and amplify that by a thousand. That's what's happening here. Uh, This is toxic. This is unhealthy. This is a father who's showing favor to Joseph and, and Joseph, some interpreters say he's kind of being snarky here. I don't necessarily think that's the true, uh, but this is what's going to happen to Joseph. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, there's that word again, they hated him even more. Things are not looking good for Joseph here. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, We were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. So uh, this is like they are harvesting wheat in the field. All right. And so if you see a sheaf there, this is an agricultural term. They are collecting uh, wheat together, and they're binding it together in sheaves. And he's saying, hey, I had this dream where the one that I was was in the middle, and all of your guys' sheaves were bowing down to me. And so basically to symbolize, I'm better than you, slash, this is just what happened in my dream. I don't know. Look at what it says. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they, there's that word, hated him even more for the dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. All right, your siblings might say annoying things sometimes, but I hope none of them have woken up in the middle of the night and been like, behold, I have dreamed another dream, sibling. And it kind of implies that I'm better than you, right? And you're like, I'm going to imply that you're going to get a black eye after you talk to me right now, right? Then he dreamed another dream, said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. 
Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I, your mother, and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. This is the story of Joseph's dreams. This is the story of Joseph's dreams. This young man has been given a vision of leadership. He's been given a vision by God to rule one day. And, and, and like we said, the, the story of Genesis is fascinating, but this is what I find comforting about this passage, right? The, the point of narrative is just to just tell us what happened, right? And we draw some implications from there, but this is a true story that really happened. But what I think is really fascinating about this part of the story is that God communicates uh, to his people, even if after they have abandoned him, even after they have walked away from him, even after they have sinned, God finds ways to communicate. And in the Near East, in the ancient Near East at this time, a vision or a dream would have been directly seen, especially in, uh, in literature, as a direct vision and as a direct communication uh, from God. And certainly uh, these young men would have taken it that way. But what I find really fascinating about this is God wants to talk with his people. God wants to communicate. God wants to show Joseph and his family something here. A lot of us can look at the Bible, and a lot of us can look at church buildings. A lot of us can sit in these seats and think that God doesn't care about you at all. Uh, That God doesn't have anything for you, right? Maybe God created the universe. I guess I can believe that. But like, he doesn't really have a say over what's happening right now. That's got to be the most depressing thing to ever believe in history, God communicates with his people, even when it's not necessarily something we understand yet or the people around us understand, uh, God desires to communicate. God desires to be known, and he always finds a way to communicate. And here he is. He is speaking to Joseph through these dreams. He's got images of of future glory, of one day being uh, in a position of leadership above his Brothers, this long, complicated, crazy, beautiful story of redemption begins with a dream from God. In your life, God wants to take you somewhere. God wants to do something. If you have a heart beating in your chest, if you have breath in your lungs, uh, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a mission for you. And I know it could be so depressing to sit in school. It could be so depressing to sit around a table with some friends in the lunchroom and think all the time, man, life just doesn't really seem to have any meaning. Uh, Life just kind of seems like I need to fall in line into this system and to like contribute to society. And at the end of the day, I don't know. But not so with God. See, God loves you, he cares about you, and he's desiring to communicate with you. And God is not an impersonable God. He made himself known, ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ and now through his word. But we're way before that. But even before that, this story begins with a vision and a dream from God. God wants something for you. God has something for you because you're a valued uh, child of him. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. He's like, I'm going to store this in the back of my head right now, right? If you've ever had a crazy dream, like just wild, like over the top wild, you probably remember it, right? So Joseph is not going to forget these. This is probably vivid, super clear. His brothers know it. His brothers are hating him because of it. 
and his father's keeping it in mind. So where does the story go from here? Where's the story go from here? Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 in your Bible or on the screen. So these are Joseph's dreams. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, again, Israel, Jacob, this is the same name, um, his father. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, now go and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me Bring me word. So his dad is sending Joseph on a mission here. Go check in on your brothers. uh, See how they're doing. This is like 14 miles away from where they are in Canaan. So this is like a couple days. This isn't like, hey, they're around the corner, right? They're like on the other side of Union High School. All right, I'll be right back. No, this is days. It's like, where are your brothers? And they're like, "Uh, I don't know, Cannon Beach. It's like, all right, there's no cars. I'll be back in a few days, dad. Like, right? This is a, I guess that's way further than 14 miles. Never mind. Never mind. Don't listen to me. Um... But listen to God's word. So uh, so he's saying, go, go on this mission. Now go see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And he found a man wandering in the fields, right? Just picture there's just a guy there and he's just like looking around. Doesn't say he's doing anything. It says he's wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, where are you seeking? Joseph says, of course, I am seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So this is like a quick little side tangent here in scripture. Again, Old Testament narrative, the, the goal of the writers is to just tell you what happened, right? The New Testament, we read it. There's lots to apply in our lives. There's lots to look at. But this is just the story of what is going on. But what we see here is that God is subtly behind every single thing here sovereignly in this moment. Uh, Joseph doesn't really know where he's going. He, he, he tries to find his brothers and he needs help, right? If it wasn't for this man wandering in the field, Uh, Joseph would have just gone right back to his dad and the following would not have happened. So even in this moment, uh, God is sovereignly behind every small detail in the story of Joseph. And I believe with my whole heart that God is sovereignly behind our stories as well. And so Joseph finds this man wandering in the field. The man gives him advice. He goes to Dothan to find his brothers. Now they saw him from afar. This is his brothers. And before he came near to them, They conspired against him to kill him. Everyone say, (gasps) yeah. Again, you may be really upset with your brother or sisters about something, right? Okay, you totally stole that shirt from me. Okay, you totally tattled on me and now I'm in trouble. But like, please don't plot to kill your siblings. This is not, this is not good. They're conspiring against him to kill him. Look at what they say. Look at verse 19. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Ooh, burn. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Wow. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see of what will become of his dreams. Ooh. But when Reuben heard of it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. And you're like, well, how are we going to get him in the pit? We got to lay hands on him somehow, right? That he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. 
They took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. This is Joseph's journey and betrayal. This is Joseph being betrayed here in this moment. Verses 12 through 36 showed us. Uh, Joseph is completely and entirely betrayed by the people who were there to protect him, for the people who were there um, to show kindness to him, because of their jealousy, because of the idea that someone younger than them could possibly rule over them, right? In this society, the oldest had the birthright, and that was it, all right? And that's a very valuable thing. They would get every single thing that their father had for them. And he's 11th in line, right? 10 other people have to die in order for him to get anything in this society. They can't handle the fact that God has given him a dream and they go to attack him. He's betrayed in this moment. This young man was given a vision of heaven, having the sun, the moon, and the stars bow to him. And now he's in the bottom of a pit. It doesn't really add up. It doesn't really make any sense. The stars are going to bow down to you, right? This is symbolic of everyone in his family bowing down to him, of course. And he is now in the bottom of a pit. Come now, let us kill him and throw away the one into one of the pits, right? They're choosing between like killing him or just throwing him in a pit, right? Their morals are pretty off at this point. The story of your life, the story that you're on right now, the story between you and God and the thing God has for you is going to have a couple pits along the way. The dream that God gave you, the future that God has for you, the promises that he made will always come true. That is absolutely the case. God keeps his promises, but there's going to be a few pits along the way. We worship God. We thank him when we're on the mountaintop but it's only when we're in the pit that we really learn how to trust him. We can worship God. We can thank God. We can say, hey, life is great. All of those things are super easy on the mountaintop, but it's in moments like this in the middle of the pit that we actually learn how to trust God, how to rely on God, how to be close to God in this moment. And friend, I promise you, I love you enough to say that on the journey, that God has for you, there will be some moments where you're looking around the pit thinking, how did I get here? But God has not abandoned you. The story does not end here. There are chapters and chapters and chapters of the story of Joseph, and his story is not done here. But the story kind of starts here in a pretty low spot. I had this dream. I had this amazing vision for my life. I had this journey that I was set out to go embark on, and now I'm in the bottom of a pit. Right? I have this new relationship with Jesus. I know that's what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm supposed to be on mission with him. I'm supposed to love him and worship him. And, and then like, as soon as I started following Christ, a bunch of bad stuff seemed to happen in my life. All right, my parents are fighting now. My friends left me. I don't know who I can trust anymore. Like, I thought this was it. I, I thought this is what you had for me. Along the way, there's going to be moments there's going to be cisterns, empty cisterns that you feel like you've been tossed into, wondering and questioning. But I promise you that in the middle of the pit, that's where we learn to trust God, and that's where God is with you. God isn't standing up on top of the pit saying, like, dude, why'd you fall in there, bro? Come on, just get out. God's with you in all those moments. God's with Joseph in this moment. 
God in his sovereignty allows this and even orchestrates this moment. Yes, how hard to wrap our minds around. I understand that. And in your life, I promise you, there will be moments where maybe I sit down with you or your small group leader and we won't have the right answers. We won't be able to say exactly why this is happening, but what we will say is that God is with you in that pit and God has allowed this thing in your life. I can't tell you why, can't tell you how, can't see the future. I don't know what your life will look like in 45 years. I don't know what your life will look like when I'm dead and gone. I have no idea, but God knows and God is with you. That's the story of Joseph, but right now he's in the pit. He's doing what his father asked him to do, right? Scholars read in a little too much to his attitude. It doesn't explicitly say if he had a like overly zealous or prideful attitude. It doesn't say, the text doesn't tell us that. He's just doing what his father told him to. And now he finds himself in the pit and it gets worse. <laughs> the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of the Ishmaelites coming from Galid and with their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. When Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us send him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph and lift him, lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph out to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy, he's gone, and I, where shall I go? The boy, or excuse me, they then took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether this is your son's robe or not. Then he identified it and said, This is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for many days. All of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son's mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is where the story ends tonight. This young man's given a vision by God and he's found himself in the pit, betrayed by his brothers, betrayed uh, by the people who are sworn to protect him, and then he is sold into slavery. Right? This isn't like a cute Bible story necessarily that we put on a flannel graph and we explain to kids. It can be, right? Uh, but this is betrayal. This is attempted murder. This is a, like a cover-up. Uh, this is like slavery. These are, this is the real deal. Joseph has been completely betrayed, found himself in a pit, and now sold and brought off to a far-off land. What do we do when life doesn't make any sense? How do we react when things don't make any sense? First of all, we know this truth that God is with us. 
God is with us in the middle of the pit. Uh, this passage shows us exactly how we should and uh, or shouldn't treat our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You know that as Christians, uh, we all share in the family of God. And I don't care how difficult things get with people in your small group. I don't care how difficult things get with someone that you're in community with. I don't care how difficult things get in your relationship to other Christians. But we do not betray each other. We do not go around each other's backs to try and plan the downfall of someone. We don't betray anyone. We don't try to seek bad things for other people. It's not what Christians do, no matter what. And hear this from the bottom of my heart. If this is something that uh, you've done or have been tempted to do, listen to me. This is not how Christians act. This is not a desire of any Christian or any follower of Jesus to betray a brother or sister. So we have to keep that in mind. But what do we do when life doesn't make any sense? What do we do? Christians worship God when we're on the mountaintop, but we learn to follow him and rely on him alone when we are in the pit. There's a few overarching questions we have to ask ourselves as we are in this series. What happens when a dream doesn't come true? What happens when the idea we had for ourselves doesn't come into fruition? What do we do when the plans, ideas, hopes, and dreams that God gives us didn't seem to happen? What do we do when evil seems to win the day and we're caught in the crossfires? Can God, here's a question for us, for this series. I want you to listen closely to this. Is it possible that God can bring about his perfect plan and abundant blessings despite of and even through pain and destruction? Is it possible is it possible that God's perfect plan for you in your life and abundant blessings can still come about despite your own sin, despite other people's sin, and despite the sin that we see in the world around us? Is it possible that that could happen? This story is unfair. This story is unjust and downright cruel, right? Joseph's not perfect by any means, but he did not deserve that punishment, this is unjust. This is wrong. What do we do with this? How could God allow something so cruel to happen, but also be a part of the narrative of scripture? It's a good question to ask. And if you read, you know, you read through this and then you look at the world, you can ask those questions many, many times. And I think those things when I look at the life of Jesus as well. How is it possible that someone so perfect Someone so unwilling of such suffering could suffer in the middle of God's plan. And that exact suffering could actually bring about God's plan. And we're often so tempted to look at our lives and say, God, I was trying to be good. And then this bad thing happened, right? Look at the life of Christ. Look at him in the garden, sweating blood, saying, God, take this cup from me. I can't do it. If it be your will, please allow this to pass. And it doesn't. He dies on a cross. And that act of obedience and that act of suffering brings about the most beautiful result in history, our salvation and our reconnection with God. Is it possible that God's plan for you involves some level of suffering? The answer has to be, and of course, is yes. Think of Joseph ripped away from his father, betrayed by his brothers, despised for no reason. The story continues despite the fact that he was betrayed, despite the fact that all these happen in the future. We're going to see this. Joseph forgives and actually brings about salvation for the ones who betrayed him. What Joseph endured 
is what Jesus finished. What Joseph started, Jesus completes in perfect fashion. If you've ever wondered why good things happen or bad things happen to good people, I've wondered the same thing when we look at the life of Jesus. And this is the one thing I want you to keep in mind as we close tonight. With God, the story is always unfolding for his glory. With God, the story is always unfolding for his glory, even when it doesn't make sense for you right now in this moment. I promise you that. God has an exclusive view on every single thing that could ever happen in history, and you and I don't. That's one reason to trust him. When he sees the entire canvas, beautiful work of art, we're so hyper fixated on just what's right in front of us. God sees it all and he orchestrates it. And he allows suffering, yes, to happen to us, but it ultimately results in his glory and our good. I promise you that is true. Christians worship the God and thank him when we're on the mountaintop, but we learn to follow him in the middle of suffering. But with God, the story is always unfolding for his glory. Could it be that a perfect man suffered needlessly for you? Could it be that God's story of redemption has moments of pain and difficulty? Could it be that in God's sovereignty, he allows these things to happen and he still is able to, unlike any other one of us in history, able to bring about a good result? When all we have is destruction that leads us to more destruction, God takes the things that we have and makes them beautiful again somehow in his perfect time and his perfect plan. And that is a reason to trust him. That's a reason to follow him. And that's a reason why we worship him. The one who didn't deserve it, the one who is mistreated, hurt on our behalf, is the one who forgives you and invites you into relationship with him. We're going to see as the story of Joseph unfolds that the story starts here, but it does not end here. The story of Joseph is one that echoes what would come in history, which is the story of Christ. It is a powerful story. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that with God, the story is always unfolding for his glory. Your pain is not purposeless. The pain you're walking through is not meaningless. The things that happen in life, maybe they haven't happened yet, right? All right, maybe you're kind of terrified. You're like, if I always hear these sermons and then something bad happens, all right? Just like, maybe it hasn't happened yet, but I promise you, if you look at any like Christian in the room who's been around a few times, uh, they'll have moments where they say, God, where did the dream that you gave me go? God, how could you let this happen to my family? How could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to them? But with God, the story is always unfolding for his glory. And so I want you to look at the story carefully. I want you to look at God's hand miraculously moving throughout difficult circumstances. And we're gonna see exactly what this story brings. So I wanna encourage you in the night, uh, encourage you here tonight. This is a community of people. Um, we love each other, we care for each other. And it's okay to reveal and to, to share maybe some of the sufferings. And, but we as a community need to do a good job at walking with people through the pit, so to speak. All right? I don't want to just slap a Band-Aid on it and say, okay, it'll be all right one day, right? It may seem like it gets worse before it gets better, right? Joseph's like, maybe they'll let me out of the pit. Oh, no, they sold me into slavery, right? Okay. And it's just going to keep getting worse. Spoiler alert. But, but we as a community, we love you. We care for you. We want to walk with you through whatever it is you're walking through, but we do want to remind you that with God, 
everything that he has his hand in is unfolding for his glory. His evidence, his, um, his appearance before all of us. That's the truth that I hope encourages you tonight. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for this story. Um, I pray that you would um, allow us to, in the midst of pain and difficulty, to look towards stories like this and understand that um, your son suffered way more than we ever will. Um, but God, thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us and directs us now these days to um, be comforted by the truths of Scripture. And I, I pray for these connect groups tonight and, um, that we would be, um, we would look at this passage and we would look at the things that you um, have placed before us. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't run from how we're feeling. We wouldn't um, try and sweep the things that we're going through under the rug. Uh, I pray that you would uh, continue to show us your goodness, even in the middle of things that don't make much sense or are uh, painful for us from time to time. Thank you for your son and for suffering on our behalf, for enduring the most um, brutal betrayal of all time, being scorned by the ones you came to save, God. Um, thank you for enduring the suffering on the cross and, of course, rising again victorious on the third day so that we could have a reestablished connection with you. So uh, help us to believe that, to know that to be true. And we uh, give you all the glory, even in the pit, even in times that don't make sense. And it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand to your feet. We're going to sing about this truth.